next four weeks, we're going to have a look at the Israelite people, funny how that theme's been coming through, about their journey out of bondage and slavery and into the promises land that, that God had said that he was going to give them for generations. And that journey, because we are walking out of breakthrough and out of our bondage and we are walking to the promises that God's got for us, but the journey is not always easy. What could have been an 11-day journey for the Israelite people turned out to be 40 years. We've got to be mindful of the stumbling blocks that we can create on our journey. So this morning, I wanted to have a look at a part of the journey, and I want you to turn to Exodus 16. We're going to read the text together, and then we're going to unpack it, and then we're going to jump to another corresponding sort of text to that as well, Numbers 11. So Exodus 16. We're going to have a look at. So if you've got there, it's on the screen for you as well. I'm going to read from the NIV. Right, here we go. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions, that on the sixth day they are to prepare what they are to bring in. And there is this, that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omar for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they had measured measured it by the omar, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everybody gathered as much as he needed, and when when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gave it twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. So whatever is left and keep it until morning. 
So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and did not, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the Sabbath. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the Sabbath, seventh day. I'll leave it right there. Quite a large chunk of information. Who's read that this week? I sent out a little video to encourage you to read it. I hope you did because it's going to will help you. Let's have an overview. The Israelite people had been in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. A small remnant, the only lot that was there right at the beginning was 70, and so they came into Egypt under Joseph's second-in-charge leadership because there was a famine, they needed food, they ended up going to Egypt. You can read the story more yourself. They spent 430 years there. A time had come when the, the Pharaoh at the time, who just absolutely loved Joseph and Joseph and them had all passed away and a new Pharaoh came in and he saw this, this Israelite f- people growing and expanding and he, be- they, he became fearful. And so he put in uh, bullies <laughs> and around them to bring them into slavery, to keep them in check. Okay? And for 430 years, they stayed in slavery. Then up pops Moses. Moses is born in Egypt. He spends... 40 years of his life in Egypt, he runs away because of something he did to hide because all of a sudden that the Pharaoh wanted to, had an excuse to kill him. So then he goes and spends 40 years in the, in the desert. He spends 40 years in Medan, or Midian, sorry. And then the next 40 years, he's on his journey. He goes back. God has an encounter with God. God tells him his plan and his purpose. Moses then goes back to, to Egypt and starts this whole process where we see the story of the ten plagues and then the exodus, where they finally get to leave. And here they are, now in the desert of sin. So if we go back to the very first verse, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin. It's not a bad place, by the way. It's just the name of it. So it's no correlation to what we know sin as. So it wasn't like... Which is between Elam and and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Important to note, 15th day of the second month. If you go back to Exodus 12, the night of the Passover, it is the 14th day of the first month. This is the final plague that God sends, the death of the firstborn. They then go and slay their their lamb, put it on the doorposts. That night, Pharaoh goes to Moses and says, leave. Immediately they leave. So the Israelite people leave Egypt on the first day of the 15th month. We're now 30 days later, on the, second, on the 15th day of the second month. And what do they do? They start grumbling. 30 days is all it took for them to start complaining. What happened in that 30 days? Let's have a look at the, some of the miracles, just a few of them. A, they left. 
freedom after 430 years. They finally got told they can walk into the promises. This whole generation were raised under slavery. They had heard nothing but the promises of God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise of the land flowing with milk and honey. That was their bedtime stories. God's going to rescue us one day. That day came. They left. Not only that, they plundered the Egyptians. They took all their gold, their silver. God had made them favor on the Israelite people. So when they went and asked Egypt, they were just happy to get rid of them. They left a night where it says in the Bible that there was a wailing that has never been heard before or will ever be heard again. A death in every home. God had miraculously kept his people safe and they exited. Not long after, they find themselves standing in a bit of a rock and a hard place. They've got the sea in front of them and, and literally rocks all around them. And the Pharaoh has changed his mind, so he sets off after them again. God does the miraculous parts of the sea. They walk through on dry ground, safely to the other side. The Egyptian army is following them. And then as soon as everybody's out, the Egyptian army's all in the middle. God covers the sea and they no longer see the enemy that has kept them in bondage and slavery for 430 years. God deals with them. They walk along. Three days later, they get thirsty and complain that they've got no water. They finally see water, and it's bitter. So God says to Moses, throw a stick in the water, and I'll make it sweet. So he gets a stick, throws it in the water, and it becomes palatable again. All these things happen in 30 days. And then they get to this place in the desert of sin, 30 days, and they start saying to Moses and Aaron, they grumbled and complained, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Verse 2. There we sat around pots of meat, oh, three, sorry. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What takes place here is what's called euphoric recall. I'll give you the Wikipedia definition of it because it's really cool. Wikipedia. Right. Euphoric recall is a psychological term for the tendency for people to remember past experiences in a positive light while overlooking negative experiences associated with that event or events. Euphoric recall has been cited as a factor in substance dependence as well as anger problems. Individuals may become obsessed with recreating the remembered pleasures of the past. Drug addicts, alcohol addicts suffer from this, the high, the euphoria of that high and then without realising the crash and the burn, without realising the pain and the suffering that, and the Egyptian people, or the Israelite people here, sorry, are doing exactly that. 30 days. Oh, my tummy's hungry. If only we had the meat. It was such good food. Don't mind the beatings and the whippings and the slavery and the long periods of what. We just want the food. All they could see was the good things. They forgot about the bondage and the slavery and the freedom that God had rescued them from. Euphoric recall. Very powerful. You only have to read it and what it says in verse 3. Let's read that again. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. 
That's all their problems was. Food. How's your euphoric, euphoric recall? It's a question I want to ask you this morning. How is it? I remember when we lived there. I remember that job. I remember that friendship. I remember when. How many times do we look at the past and think of the good times, the high, and realize that actually God brought us out of that situation for a very good reason? God is always propelling you forward, right? Your euphoric recall takes you back. As an individual, as a church, we're on a journey, a journey into the promises of God, a land flowing with milk and honey. In our church's case, the language that we use around here, we just sung about it, the new wine. God's got new wine for us. You may have just received your breakthrough. We've had a breakthrough evening, personal, church, corporate, and you've come out of bondage and you're heading towards his promise, his vision, his purpose. We are on a journey. How is your euphoric recall going? How are you looking back? Are you remembering the high or are you remembering the situation that God has brought you out of, the freedom that he's purchased and allowed you to go through? I want to take a second to jump forward and have a look at leadership. So if you want to turn to verse 7 of chapter 16. I'll start at 6. So Moses and Aaron said all to the Israelites in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? This is Moses saying that you should grumble against us. Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the morning or meat in the evening and bread in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Moses is saying, um, why are you complaining to us? We are, yes, God has established Moses as a leader. God establishes leaders, leaderships. Hear God and say, God, tell them to do A, B, C, and D. Right? And so Mo- and Moses says to them as they start complaining, you're not actually complaining about us because we're just following God's instructions. You're complaining to God. You're complaining about God. Think about it. God establishes leaders. In Romans 13, 1, it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Leaders... Put this in place. God positions leaders. He says to them, I want you to do A, B, C, and D. And they do all that they can. They cast vision, values, mission. You know, we have done that. Phil did that last week. We want to reach a 1,000 people per week with the message of God. We, want to be, we are being a family who gather together around God's presence, live together in his love and share in his truth. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that awesome? Who wants to reach a thousand people a week with the message and the love of God? Come on, that should excite you. So we start this amazing journey from breakthrough. And if we're not careful in a short amount of time, we can have euphoric recall. It doesn't look the way it used to look. It doesn't feel the way it used to feel. It doesn't sound the way it used to sound. 
and we start to grumble and complain. And I've lost a page. What I love about God in this story is if we have a look at verses 11 through to verse 12, it shows you God's response. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What does God show? Love, grace, mercy, provision. What would I show? <laughs> Boot. God is such a loving and graceful, merciful God that even amongst our grumblings and complaints, he shows love, he shows grace, he shows mercy. Let's carry on, Exodus 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. I want you to notice here quickly that it only talks about quail once. It goes on to list all the instructions about the mana. Why? Because it's brand new. They've never seen it before. They've never, they don't know what it is. The Hebrew word for mana is what is it? Mana, mana is what they're saying. What is it? They don't know what to do with it. They don't know all about this, so God gives clear instructions. Quail? They know about quail. They've eaten quail before. So quail's only mentioned once. Hold that thought. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? Manna. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread of the Lord. He has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. What I love about this, you only have to read verses like John 6, 48 to 51. I am the bread of the life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is our bread from heaven. Manna is a symbolic picture of God's provision and love come down from heaven daily. Give us this day our daily bread. They were instructed to go and collect manna daily, bar one, the day of rest. Isn't it such a cool picture? God is telling his people to go out. He gives instructions. If you carry on reading, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded in verse 16. Each one of us is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer. Now, omer is about 2.3 liters, for those who want to know. Dates, numbers, times are incredibly important. You need to catch this. It's about 2.3 liters. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured out by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. There was no need for comparison. Everybody had exactly what they needed. Nobody had too much. Those who required more got more, but it wasn't too much. Those who only had little only need little, so, but it wasn't too much. Doesn't that take away the fact that, oh, look at him, he's more blessed than I am? 
No. God has given you exactly what you need for the journey that you are on. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep it until morning. What's Moses doing? Moses is giving what? Instructions. God has told him, this is what you need to do. Moses is then relaying it to the people. I want to... I'm going to do something. I am going to give you a simple instruction. Oh, sorry. God gives an instruction, and what should our response be? Now, I'm going to get you to answer that question, but I'm going to let you know that I'm going to trap you at the same time. Okay? So I'm going to follow it up with a statement, but I'm intentionally telling you that it's going to trap you no matter what your answer is. And it might feel like a bit of a burn. I hope it does. Right. God gives you an instructions. What is your responsibility? To obey. Anybody disagree? <laughs> this brave man. So God gives us an instruction, and our responsibility to, is to obey. Correct? All those in favor say aye. aye. Right. Here's the follow-up st- statement. Who remembers a few months ago, Phil said to him that God has said that we need to increase our prayer as a church, that our prayer meetings are a focal point of that. Who remembers that? Yeah. So God has said, what's our responsibility? To obey and pray. What are we seeing? It was mentioned this morning. Small numbers of people obeying what God has said as a church. God has said as a church to his people an instruction for us to reach the promises and the new wine that he's got for us. You need to pray. You need to gather in our prayer services corporately. You need to not have your excuses of school the next morning, of work, or I'm tired. God's not interested in that. God's interested in obedience. Okay? I'm going to leave that with you, and you fight it as much as you like. But you all said, if God says something, you have to obey. And God has said, pray. And exactly right, obedience brings blessing. So when's our next prayer meeting? Amen. God will test you in this way. Did he not test the Israelite people? We read it earlier. He says to them somewhere, <laughs> it's in there, that he, oh, I'm going to test them. Each morning gather as much as they want. Oh, sorry, back here. In verse 4, in this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they are to bring in, that is the twice as much as they gather on the other day, on the others other days. That was his test. God gives an instruction, our responsibility is to obey. By the way, do you know what Bethlehem means in Hebrew? House of bread. So the bread of heaven comes down 
the small form to the house of bread. So cool. God is amazing. Really jump into it. It's so good. Right, anyway, carry on. Where am I up to? I'm completely lost. Every morning as they gathered as much as they needed and they went and the sun grew hot, it mounted away. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omars per person. As the leaders of the community came around and reported this to Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Commandment. He said to them, tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save what is, whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots. Remember the very first instruction that they had. Don't save it. Eat it. Collect as much as you want for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. You carry it over, it will get rotten and maggots. What did some of the people still do? Saved it. They didn't obey a what? A basic instruction, right? Why? They're scared, yeah. They were hungry. God said, I will give you manna, bread of life from heaven for six days. Day one happens, sweet. I'm not quite sure if God's going to provide for tomorrow. So I'm going to hold it just in case. Are you... Hearing other scriptures, give us, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. Give us this day our daily bread. Are you, they feared that they were going to be hungry the next day, so they kept it. God, manna is what? God's miracle from heaven, right? Think about it. For six days, it didn't go moldy. <laughs> they kept it one day at the end after following God's instructions, and it was sweet as. Come on, that's amazing. This is amazing stuff. God also tells Moses to take an omar, about 2.3 liters, and put it into the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder. So that's been sitting there for thousands of years, and I can guarantee you that's not moldy or got maggots. God's miracles. It's fascinating stuff when you slow down and you take the time to look at it. So here they are. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground. Today, six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. What happened next? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Simple, basic instructions. Stay at home. There's not going to be any. Why did they do that? Did they think that up? It's been here for six days. There's bound to be some tomorrow. Did they go out and eat it because they had twice as much the next day and they gorged it? I wonder how many of the people actually went out on Sunday and had a, a fasting day by accident because they had actually eaten the day's provision the night before. Simple, basic instructions. Guess what happens? Moses got angry at the first one. Who got angry at the second one? God got angry at the second one. Why? Because he said at the beginning, in this way I will test them. Keep the Sabbath. God gets mad. Then he says to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? And explains the Sabbath again. It's crazy. I want you to turn to Numbers 11. Hang on to the parallels as best you can. 
Linda brought a word in our prayer this morning about being on the outskirts of the community. She said it was a bit of a warning that we need to stay intimately close as family. And I'm not sure if she realized it, but I am speaking this very first next passage on Numbers 11. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships and the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned amongst them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Ouch. Then Moses had to cry out and ask the God to stop the fire, and it died down. Then verse 4, it says in Numbers 11, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. The rabble. Anybody know any rabble? Huh? Come around my house, I'll show you some. (laughs) The rabble are the people who, who left Egypt, who weren't part of the Israelite community, weren't Israel Jewish, but they were, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm partnering with them. They are the ones that they went into the house on the night of the Passovers, who God clearly says instructions, hey, this is what, if they want to be a part of your family, they've got some sort of things they have to have happen for them to be part of their, the family. So the rabble weren't Jewish, but they had gone on the journey because they, they realized that they were serving the one and true and only God. They started to stir up dissension. They started to have euphoric recall. What you need to know about this passage of Scripture is that in Numbers 10, it tells you that it happens on the 20th day of the second month in the second year. This is one year later and five days. They had left their place of sin. They had done a loop through the desert and ended up a little bit north just of Sinai. A year later, okay, and the rabble started to complain. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and garlic. It's got a lot more depth to it now. It's not just the meat. But we now have lost our appetite because we have seen, we have never seen anything but this manna. For 369 days they had been eating Just manna. The quail, right at the beginning, was a one-time thing. They had spent a whole year devouring just manna. Who would get sick of porridge, breakfast, lunch, or tea for 365 days? Oh, it's it's even longer. This is the first year. They've got 39 to go. They complained about... The manna. This is what they were doing. God's miracle from heaven. They started to complain and started to get fussy and started to say, hey, we want more. We want what we had. We had the Europhoric recall. We want the cucumbers and the leeks and the onions and the garlics. They were complaining about God's desert miracle. We do this all the time. I don't like this house anymore. I don't like this job. My family are frustrating me. My friends are... Mana is God's daily blessing. Small, but daily. How many times do we sit there and complain about the provision that God's provided for us 
because it's become stale for us and we have lost the significant picture and the blessing that our mana is for us. What is your mana? Your daily provision, your blessing, everything that God has given you is a blessing. And they started to complain against it. God got mad. Be careful what you complain about. Because it could be your mana that you have sat in for a year, but it is still God's plan. It is still his purpose. It is still his blessing for you in your life. So the rabble. <laughs> God said to me this morning, this is in the early hours of the morning as I was talking about this, the rabble, those we associate with that are not part of our family. This can look in many different ways. And God said to me quite often, what we allow in as a church is that we, we hear and see what other churches are doing. And we start to say, I wish we were doing that, or I wish we had that, or this church does this, or this church does that. And we bring that eh into our family, that, that angst or that wish or that desire, and, and we start to murmur it around. And it starts to fester and we start to complain. We should be doing this. We should be doing that when God's saying, actually, I called you to this. This is what we're called to do. What they're called to do, I've called them to do. Breast them, pray for them, support them. You need to be mindful if you go and join another church or visit another church that you don't carry your baggage into it because it'll affect the congregation. The rabble started to complain first. They began to crave, and again the Israelites started wailing. Moses heard in verse 10, heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of his tent. The grumbling starts at home. The gossip starts at home. Then the Lord became exceedingly angry and was troubled. Moses then goes on and says, oh, why did you give them to me? I didn't give birth to all these ones. I didn't nurse them. I didn't cradle them. Take me now. Leadership. <laughs> Why? Because they're making it difficult. Doesn't the Bible say, do not make it hard for your leadership? Just a thought. Keep those verses coming into your mind. <laughs> he then says to them, the Lord heard when you wailed, down in verse 18, if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Oh, goodness, bondage and slavery, and they were better off. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat for just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Notice that God said, oh, Moses over the page, or over my page, on 21 says that, you know, he's got 600,000 men, right? You get, he's, God has just told him he's going to provide meat for at least 600,000 men for a whole month. That's a lot of meat. Moses says to him, man, how are you going to do that? If we slaughtered all our cattle, which we're not going to do because that's actually our livelihood, we wouldn't even have enough livestock to feed them. We wouldn't even have enough fish if we had to catch all the fish in the sea to feed them for a whole month. 
Moses is looking at his situation going, dude, God, you're crazy. <laughs> Where are we going to get all this meat from? God didn't, what I want you to notice is that God says, I will provide you meat for a whole month. I will not, he didn't say, I will provide you a month's worth of meat. First time, they had quail for a day. Remember this. This time, God said, I'm going to provide you a month's worth of meat, not a month worth of meat. There is a difference. I hope you're catching that. You're catching that? Yeah, I'm going to provide you meat for a month, not all of it at once. Okay. <laughs> I can see you're all intrigued. This is awesome. Now, wind went out in verse 31 out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. Remember, this is a year on. Okay, they had quail the first time. This is a year later. God has taken them back a little bit north. Now, if you do your study on quail and the migration of quail, you will know that they come from Africa, and at that time of year, they pass through Egypt because they used to eat them in Egypt, remember? And they head up to that direction. So even in amongst their complaining, God said, I'm going to still, con I'm above. I'm going to position you so I can still provide for you, even though you're complaining about it. God's love, grace, and mercy. Okay? If you read old newsletters and stuff like that, they would have people on ships, this is really fascinating, who would, in the path of the quail migration, would have people full-time shooing them off their boats. Because they're little short, fat birds, and they can't fly very far, and so they take all the stops. And if you're on a boat and they come in across sea, they will see your boat and rest. And they will flock onto your boat and sink your boat. Yeah, so they'll have people hired to shoo quail away. So God had positioned the people already because he knew, you know, oh, he's going to complain. So I'll provide. And so a year later, they're back in the same migration patterns of quail. This is really exciting. All that day and night. Ah, oh, so they... Because obviously little fat birds, they don't want to fly. You don't want to fly too high when you run out of puff. You crash. So they're flying around. It says about three feet off the air and a day's walk in any direction. That's a long time to walk to find quail in any direction. That's a lot of quail, right? All day, all that day and night and all the next day, so 36 hours, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homos. Now, this is where it gets really fun. God had said he would provide them meat for a, for a month. He would provide them meat for a month, not a month's worth of meat. What did they do? They went and gathered a month's worth of meat. Why? Because the first time, quail ran out. What was their complaint? They didn't have enough meat. They didn't have enough onions and leeks and stuff. So quail comes again. God had said, I'm going to give you quail for a whole month, not a month worth of quail. But in their lust and in their greed, they went and gathered quail for 36 hours. What will blow your mind is they gathered, the person who gathered the least gathered 10 homer. How much is an, sounds like an episode of Simpsons, doesn't it? How much is an omer, roughly? About 2.3 liters, right? Which is one-tenth of an ephah. So an ephah would weigh 23. <laughs> It confused me now. It's about 23 litres, right? An ephah is one-tenth of one homer. So one homer would weigh about 230 litres. 
worth. And the least person collected 10 of them, which is about how much? 2,300 liters worth of quail. Now, if you work that out on a body mass of a quail, go do your studies here, ladies and gentlemen. The person who collected the least, which is 10 homa worth of quail, equates to roughly 1,900 birds each. 600,000 men, just men as an example, were to collect 10 homa of quail, 1,900 birds each. That's in a, you math that out by 600,000, that's 1.14 billion quail they collected in a 36-hour period. That's a truckload of, yeah, greedy. Hold on to that thought, greedy. Did you know if you were to line up those quail side by side in a little grid form, it would cover 3,195 acres of land? Here in the scripture, after it says, no one gathered less than 10 homars, they spread them out all around the camp. That's a fair chunk of land. If you were to line those quail up from head to tail, head to tail, head to tail, you will go around the earth five times. That's a lot of quail. You want it? KFC? <laughs> Call it quails. God says in Psalms that he was not going to deprive them of their quail, of their, their greed, of their craving. Psalm 78, 25 to 32. He said he gave them over to their own desires, their own flesh. Verse 33, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against them and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Havatar. That, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I know that. But in Hebrew, that means the grave of lust. When he talks about there that the, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before they consume it, what they believe in doing your research is that what that means there is that before the 30 days is up, it's not their very first bite, okay? So remember they'd taken quail and they had spread them out in the sun to dry the meat, to preserve it, because they did not know if God was going to provide it like the first day it was going to disappear. So they collected 30 days worth. You imagine what day 20 smells like. Okay, they used to do this with the fish in Egypt. So this was the custom of Egypt to dry their food. Fish, vegetables, not birds. So they, historians, are pretty unanimous that by the time that day 20, day 30, before they could eat all their meat, they were eating some pretty foul stuff. Those that were uh, consumed by their, their lust got infected and died. God took them all out. They buried the people who had craved after food. Fascinating, eh? Did you know in verse in First Corinthians ten, the message, if you turn there, it's titled in my Bible, it's titled Warnings from Israel's History. And it says there that these things happened to them as an examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. It took them 30 days to start grumbling the first time. 
God provided them with a miracle from heaven in manna. A year later, they were complaining and they were having cravings of lust of the flesh. God said, fine, I'll provide 30 days worth. In their greed, they took 30 days worth in 36 hours. Three questions I want to leave for you this morning. I want to invite the band back up. And if they could play the new wine song, if that's possible. Because I want to give you something to reflect on. What is your mana? Have you taken the time to think about your mana? What is it? That's what it means. Your daily blessings. Your daily provision, your home, your clothing, your food, your friends, your work, your finances. That is God's blessing and God's provision. Take stock of your mana and be thankful for it. Just as importantly, what is your quail? What is it that you are lusting after because you are bored of your mana? God would want to challenge you this morning because He is enough. His provision is enough. We need to get into the habit of what the Word says to give us this day our daily bread. He is the provider to not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. But to intentionally be thankful and appreciative of the manna that God gives us. What is the quail that is stopping you what is the quail that you were given into the cravings and the lust of your flesh? You are on a journey. We are on a journey as a church into new wine. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going to sound different. But it is God's new wine. And He's using Phil and Kathy as the leaders to guide us and direct us and position us to receive all that we can. Do not make an 11-day journey 40 years because you lusted after the quail when God has given you so much mana. As they sing the song, reflect on it. What is your euphoric recall? What is making you crave after the thing that God has brought you out of? May God bless you and keep you and may God's provision be abundantly clear in every single one of your lives. Because His manna is everywhere. It is our responsibility to have His daily bread, the Word of God, our time with God, the presence with God. Don't starve yourself and think that you can come on a Sunday morning and get all the money you need to sustain you for the week. That's actually the opposite of what God instituted. God said, give us His daily bread. And they came and they rested on the Sabbath. Come and enjoy. They had a double portion on the Saturday, for an example. And they came and they entered into His presence of worship and praise. Don't come on a Sunday morning getting your week's worth of mana. Come and enjoy His presence because He will lift you up on wings of eagles. He will renew your strength.